Lord, for your word. We pray, Lord, that you open our hearts and our minds to your word this morning and the message to follow. We'll be reading out of Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Paul. You may be seated. We will continue now back in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, Kingdom Living. What is it like for us to be believers, to be kingdom citizens? What has God called us to? That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Uh, many scholars believe this is the greatest sermon ever preached, that this was uh, one, uh, one moment in time that Jesus sat in front of his disciples and his followers and gave this declaration. It was the first, his very first public ministry of a sermon, of a teaching, and he goes first chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew to teach us what it means for us to be liberated. You uh, heard Jared say that in his prayer, that the people of the day, the Jewish people had been longing for this moment that their king would come and liberate them. Uh, that's what the Old Testament talks about over and over and over again, that God was going to deliver his people from the bondage that they were in. And so they knew this to be true, that the, the Jewish people, the hearers of the word, were anticipating the king. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he becomes the king. And in these next few chapters, he's going to talk about his kingdom and what it's like for us, his believers, to that audience to be in his kingdom. You remember what he says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. You've turn over there it's just one page back 417 he says this he says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and then in chapter 5 and 6 and 7 he's going to talk about once you come into repentance there is a way that you a believer are to live your life in my kingdom and so chapter 5 6 and 7 are all about how do we live as kingdom citizens you remember he says we got to look different in the world if you're a kingdom citizen, you have to look different. That's what he told us in Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. You are the light. You are the salt of the earth. And in chapter 5, verse 14, he says this. You, you are the light of the world. And so Jesus is saying, if you are a believer, your life ought to look different than the world's. You are no longer a, a citizen of this world, but you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And therefore, the things of your life must look different. And then he took us to the Beatitudes and walked us through uh, those few Beatitudes of what it looks like for our salvation. Remember, we talked about uh, the very first week. We have to look poor in spirit. There has to be this neediness that occurs in our hearts because in our neediness, we're going to reach out to a holy God. It's only through a relationship with a holy God that we can even be in God's kingdom because God has to do what only he can do and transform us to make us like him. That's what it means to be his citizen. And he walks us through progressively what does it look like for us in our salvation. And that's what the Beatitudes are about. Our ongoing process of becoming more and more and more like Christ. And then Jesus, here in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, is going to talk about our sanctification. So the Beatitudes are about our justification. What does it look like 
for us to be justified before Holy God. And now the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to talk about our sanctification, the ongoing process of becoming more and more like him. We looked at uh, <clears throat> several weeks ago, before we did our Advent series, on anger and how Jesus said, you've heard it said, it's not just about anger, it's not just about murder, but it's about anger, because all anger, if it goes undealt with, will lead to murder. And he says, all of us in the room are murderers because there's been anger in our hearts. And he's going to continue to point us to this idea over and over and over and over and over and over again. And the idea is that we cannot live as Christ's followers without being submitted to a holy God. You cannot do the Christian life on your own. The Christian life on your own is impossible. We need a holy God to do what only God can do, and that's bring transformation of the heart. These things that we're going to look at for the next several weeks are all about the heart. They're not about the external things that happen. They're about where it comes from. That's why the message this morning is called the heart of lust. It's not the manifestation of lust where it takes you or takes me or drives me to, but it's going to start at the root. Where does it start from? It starts with the heart. And so this morning we're going to look at three things. You'll see them on your screen. The first one is this, the deed of lust. The second one is the desire of lust. And the last one is our hope, the deliverance of lust. And so for us this morning, we'll look at uh, chapter 5, verse 27. Uh, if you'll turn there, I'll, I'll read it again. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I, Jesus, say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one member then your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if, you, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one member than your whole body to go into hell. You'll see over and over and over again in the next uh, chapter, chapter 5, there's this thing that he says six times. Six times he says these words. You have heard it said. You have heard it said. You have heard it said. You've heard it said about anger. You've we're going to talk about lust this morning. Next week, we're going to talk about divorce. The following week, we're going to talk about oath. And, and the last two things are retaliation and our love for enemy. And so Jesus is saying, you've heard it said this. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus is going back to what he said he was going to do uh, in chapter 5, verse 17. He said, I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to bring it even more meaning, to bring it to its full fruition. And that's what he's saying. You've heard it said this. But I tell you this, what is he telling us? We looked the last time when we last gathered to read through the Sermon on the Mount was he took us back to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. And he took us to uh, the, the Sixth Commandment about murder. And so he's saying there's a direct correlation what I have to say to what the law has to say. And so he's saying, I didn't come to do away with the law. I've come to fulfill the law, to show you all that is in the law. And this morning, he's going to take us to uh, Exodus chapter 20, the seventh and the tenth commandment. The seventh commandment is you shall not commit adultery. The tenth commandment is you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You covet your neighbor's wife when you commit adultery. And so Jesus is saying, it's not just about adultery. You're also breaking the, 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 the tenth commandment when you commit adultery because you are, have a covetous heart. And so Jesus, in this one section of uh, the Sermon on the Mount is going to cover two, 
two of the, the Ten Commandments. Again, he's going to go back over and over to say, yes, we live by the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not burdensome. Though you live in society that burden us with the Ten Commandments, that's what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. They were taking the Word of God and making a burden unto the people. And so remember where Jesus says in the Gospels, my burden, uh, my yoke is light. He's saying my teaching is light. It's not burdensome. The teaching of Christ is not burdensome. That does not mean it's easy. That just that means it's not burdensome. It's, it's simple. It's just not difficult. It's not difficult on us because difficulty does not bring us freedom. God's Word brings us freedom. And so Jesus, this morning, this is why it's PG-13, we're going to look at adultery. We're going to look at lust because adultery starts with lust. Adultery, Jesus is going to tell us, starts way before the act happens. You see, what had happened was that the Pharisees and the scribes had taken uh, adultery and made it into one singular moment in time. And that's what we've done here in the U.S. I looked up the word adultery in the dictionary. This is what it says about adultery. Adultery is sexual intercourse between a married man and a person who is not his or his spouse. That's what the Pharisees had done. The Pharisees said, hey, this is all adultery is. All adultery is that you just have not committed the act of sexual intercourse with a married or unmarried person. And so what they did was they took the law of God and made it simple so that they could uphold the law of God so that they could declare themselves as righteous. Because it's easy for all of us and us to not be judgmental to other people and say, I've never done that. That's all the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees were looking at people who had committed adultery and said, we're not like that, therefore we're righteous. And as Christians, we can do that so often. We can look at what everyone else is doing, and we can look at our own lives and say, I've never done that. And therefore, we justify ourselves because of what we have done or haven't done. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. That, that's not the heart. That's not what I'm getting at. What Jesus is saying, it's what Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 6. You'll see this on your screen. What the, the people, the Pharisees and the scribes had done was to take the Spirit out of the law. This is what Paul says. It's not the letter, but the Spirit. For the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. And so what Jesus is saying here in this passage is this. We've got to get back to the Spirit of the law. You see, the deed is simply this. The deed is adultery. That's what Jesus is talking about. The deed is adultery. And now Jesus is going to talk about what that really means. What is adultery? You see, even here in America... Uh, we have taken sex and made it something it was never meant to be. Uh, our society is driven by a gift from God that we have distorted. Our society is driven by sex. You, you turn on the TV, you go down the road, everything is driven by sex. We've become an over-sexualized society, which means that we've become more desensitized to what God talks about sex. If, if society knows if it can just pound something into our head, we'll be desensitized from it. Therefore, we won't find the conviction that God's Word brings to sexuality and lust and adultery. Uh, being in the job that I'm in day to day, um, I've said this before, I, I meet with people and couples all the time that just said, I, I just got bored with them. What? 
It just got boring in the marriage. So I went outside the marriage. Boredom took you outside the marriage. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal. It didn't hurt anybody. I'm sitting there thinking, you're in my office. It hurt somebody. Like, you committing adultery has hurt you, and it's hurt other people, and it's hurt your family. It's not that big of a deal. We live in a society that, that says, hey, let's just hook up with whoever and whenever and however. There's, there's apps on our phones that can do that for us. Just the moment of a click. We just saw a few months ago in the news, uh, the, the website, Ashley Madison. That was a way for the world to get into adulterous relationships, and it was okay. Like, nobody threw a flag on that. Like, there is a website that we can have access to that is pro-adultery and no one sat and said anything about it. You see, that's the world we live in and Jesus is saying, oh, no, no. It's no different now than it was in Jesus' day. We just have a quicker access to it. And so Jesus says, that's the deed. The deed is adultery. And now he's going to get to how do we get back to the heart? Here's what Jesus says the definition is. This is a scholar. This is the desire. This is where it comes from. So if the deed is adultery, where does it start? Where does it happen? It starts with a desire. The desire is what we'll look at in verses 28. This is what R.T. Kendall says, how Jesus defines adultery. As a mental act of lusting after one who is not your husband or your wife. Wait, Jesus. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You see, now Jesus didn't just take it to the action. Now Jesus is taking it to the heart. You see, adultery is a problem of the heart. It's not a problem of the action. You see, you and I commit adultery. We lust because of our hearts is what Jesus is saying here. We'll walk through this. Uh, This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, you've heard it said this. It's about adultery, the single act. But I say this. Jesus says there, the word I, circle that in your Bible. Jesus is saying and showing his authority that he is the word of God. The same thing that God does in John 1, in 1 John. That God is, Jesus is the very words of God. And so Jesus is saying, I have all the authority to tell you what I'm about to tell you. I have the authority to attach the Old Testament and the New Testament because I am the attachment. I. The next thing it says this, Jesus says this, I tell you this. That everyone who what? Looks. Circle the word looks. Looks means this. This is what the, the Greek word means. It's the idea of a continuous process. It's an intention and a repeated gaze. It's staring or being fixed upon. And so Jesus says it's not just the act itself, but it is the staring that comes from the heart when you continually stare after another human being. And he says this, so when you have that ongoing, continuous staring process, he says, when you stare at what? A woman with what? When you look at a woman, or you stare at a woman, or you gaze at a woman with what? Lustful intent. What is lustful intent? It's saying that you're going to do something with the staring. It indicates a goal or an action. There becomes in your mind a purpose for what you're looking at. So when you gaze upon something and you continue to gaze upon something, it turns into an action even though the action may not have occurred yet because the action has already happened in the heart. And so Jesus says, 
what? He says, when you stare and when you gaze upon and when you begin to have that action in your mind, he says what? You've already committed adultery. You've already done the act because the act has already happened in your heart. This is what John MacArthur has to say about this. I I love this quote. And we'll get to this part. It is not lustful looking that causes the sin in the heart, but the sin in the heart that causes the lustful looking. The lustful looking is not about an expression of the heart that is already immoral and adulterous. The heart is the soul where the seeds of sin are embedded and begin to grow. What, what John MacArthur is saying is it, it's not that your looking is lustful, it's that the heart that's bringing the looking is lustful. So you, you have to deal with the heart. Here's what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not talking about temptation here. Jesus is not talking about temptation. Jesus is not talking about looking at beauty. There's beautiful people everywhere we go. This is not what Jesus is talking about. We live in one of the most beautiful places to live, in Nashville. There's beauty all over the place. Jesus is not saying when you leave here and you notice beauty. What Jesus is saying here is that when you take that beauty and take it for something it was never meant to be for you. It's the idea that comes out of 2 Samuel chapter 11. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11 is about uh, David and Bathsheba. We'll walk real quickly through this story. We all know that David committed adultery. But I want, I want to show us where the adultery happened before it ever happened. We'll just look at the very uh, first few verses. It says, in the springtime, this is chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the springtime of year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab, uh, Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Just circle that last line of that first verse. Verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house and he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful and David sent and acquired about the woman and he said who who is this woman this is is this not Bathsheba the daughter the wife of Uriah the Hittite so David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her there is the act of adultery where did it start You, you see it didn't start where David is laying down in sexual intercourse with Bathsheba, it starts all the way back in verse 1. That's why I said circle it. But David remained at home. How do we know that's when it started? Because it says in the very first half of the first verse, when kings go out to battle, David was a king and David was in a battle, but where was David? David was at home. David was never meant to be at home. David was meant to be on the battlefield. And so it starts with us in disobedience. And then it leads to, so he didn't, so there it starts. It started with disobedience. Then in the second verse, it happened. It just never happened, okay? Adultery just doesn't happen. It happened one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was what? Walking around the roof of the king's house. That he what? He saw. 
And it's what he did with what he saw. You see, if David had never been at home, David would have never saw. If David had never saw, he would have never inquired. If David had never inquired, he would have never slept with Bathsheba. And so David, what, what it says is he saw. In that moment of seeing, David had two options. To turn and look at the other way or to continue his pursuit. And he continued his pursuit. He called and he began to cry out for more and more and more and more and more until he slept with Bathsheba. You see, adultery always starts with the heart. You see, in this moment for David, it started with his heart of disobedience. That he had a call in his life to be a man of God, to be a king, and kings were to go out for battle, but he stayed at home and he started with his disobedience. It started with his heart. I love what this writer says. These are the five stages of adultery. And this is, we can see this in David. The first stage is this, just normal attraction. We are given by God eyes to see and eyes to behold beauty. If we did not have attraction, we would not notice beauty at all. We would never notice a beautiful flower. We would never notice beautiful pictures. We would never notice a beautiful sunset or the mountains or anything else. So it starts with a God-given gift of our attractions, of our being able to see, of our imagination. But it's what happens in those few moments after we see and we notice with attraction. It says then we're led to temptation. You see, with the attraction we haven't sinned, with the temptation we still haven't sinned, how do we know that? We know that from Corinthians. He said, no temptation has seized you except which is common to man. And God always provides a way out in the moment of temptation. So just because you notice and just because you're tempted, you still have not sinned. Where sin happens and it occurs is what happens next. It's the word obsession. We get attracted to something, we get tempted by something, and then we begin to obsess about something. The obsession is where it begins to take root in our heart because obsession takes us away from praising God. Obsession takes away our attention and our affections for the heart of God. So we sin when it moves into obsession because we give other things the reign of our hearts. That's what obsession is. And then in obsession, what happens? We cause another to lust. You see, so when I, that's what happened with David. So David was on the, on the roof. He saw, he lusted. He sent message to Bathsheba. And that's what caused Bathsheba to then lust after him. She could have said no. But she did not because the power of the man's lust embedded into Bathsheba. Therefore, she lusted after David. And then the physical act occurs. An old proverb says it this way. Sow a thought and you rip, reap an action. Sow a thought, that's the obsession, you're going to reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. The ongoing action over and over and over and over and over and over causes a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. So what started off as a simple thought, now it's something you've become. And what does it say? So a character, reap a destiny. Because your ongoing thought process is taking to a place that this is now who you've 
become, and this is your destiny from here on out. And Jesus is saying to us this morning, let's start with the heart. Let's start with the heart. Let's get back to, it's not just the action of it. You see, this message can so pertain just to men. Lust is not a man problem only. Ladies, listen loud and clear. It's part of your problem as well. How do we know that? It goes back to what we said the fourth step is, causing another person to lust. I love what this old author says. This guy is old, 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 like 1800s old. So what he's talking about and the way he's talking about people dressing is way different than what we're talking about people dressing, okay? And this is what he says. He says, if lustful looking is so grievous a sin, then those who dress and expose themselves with the desire to be looked at and lusted after are not less but perhaps more guilty. Talking to ladies. And this matter is not only too often the case that men sin, but women tempt them to do so. How great then must the guilt of the great majority of modern misses who deliberately seek to arouse the sexual passions of young men and how much greater still is the guilt of most of their mothers for allowing them to become levaciously temptuous. What what this man is saying is, lady, it, it matters how you dress. And I'm not saying don't dress attractively. I'm saying don't dress seductively. You know when you put on your clothes if you're doing it to be attractive or doing it to be lusted after. You know. How come? Because I'm a dude. I know. I know when I dress if I want to be lusted after, if I just want to look Rico Schwabe. I know if I just want to look good. I know. Or I'm putting on clothes like, man, maybe I'll get noticed today. And if I think to myself, I want to get noticed today, I better put on some burlap. I better just put on a potato sack. And what this guy is saying, what Jesus is saying, it's not just a man's problem, it's a lady's problem. Ladies, when you get up in the morning and you get ready for work, if there's any moan of you that has not found fulfillment in your husband and you're putting on a dress to find fulfillment in the workplace, change your clothes. And moms and dads, we live in a society that says, just dress however you want. Just go to high school and look at that. It's crazy what young girls wear these days. And it starts because they don't have a mom and a dad to say, "Mm mm-mm. I'm telling you right now, if Tennyson walks around our house, I will point the other direction and say change and then go take those clothes and burn them. I I want to be careful of how she dresses, not only for her, but for the guys that will see her. That's my responsibility as her dad. And it might be an all-out fight. It's already, she's four. It's already a fight about what she wears now. I can't imagine it's 16. But I want to protect her, but I also want to protect other people. And so it's not just a guy's problem. It's a lady's problem. And so for us today, where do we find ourselves with this idea of lust? Because there's great hope for us. As to the next few chapters, there is deliverance from this. If you're caught in the bondage of sexual sin, there is healing for you. There is a way out. There's always a way out. This is what Jesus says in the next few passages of Scripture, the next two verses. 
There is a way out. You do not have to, and I do not continue to have to be uh, slaves to sin, as Jared sang earlier. I do not have to be a slave any longer. And this is the deliverance from adultery, from our lust. If your right hand causes you to sin, tear it off, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, tear it off and throw it away, for it is better to lose one member of your body than the whole body to go into hell. What Jesus is saying here is is a hyperbole. He is not saying literally cut your hand off and gouge your eyes out. What Jesus is saying is here, in in the Jewish culture, your right hand and your right eye were the best of the best. If you're left-handed, I'm sorry, I'm just telling you what Jesus says. He's saying that this is the best part of who you are. And so what Jesus is saying is, to what lengths are you willing to go to remain pure in your life, to remain in holiness for your life? Are you willing to go to whatever lengths to remain pure and holy? John Stott says it this way. He says this, let me elaborate and so interpret Jesus' teaching. If your eye causes you to sin because temptation comes to you through your eyes, objects you see, then pluck out your eyes. That is, don't look. Behave as if you have actually plucked out your eyes and flung them away. And were blind and so could not see the object which previously caused you to sin. What he's saying here, if you see something and you begin to lust after it, you go into obsession, look away from it as if you were blind and could not see it anyway. Again, how far will you go to remain pure and holy? Again, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin because the temptation comes to you through the hands, things you do, and your feet, places you visit, then cut them off. That is, don't do it. Don't go. Behave as if you actually have cut off your hands and feet and you have flung them away. And you were now crippled and said you could not go do the things or visit the places which previously caused you to sin. Again, when we deal with our sin, when we deal with lust, to what lengths will we go to find our purity? It it may be this way. Men, if you have a problem with the internet, with pornography, take a Louisville slugger and bash your computer to a thousand pieces and don't buy another computer. If it's your phone, take your phone, bash that into a thousand pieces, and I'll give you Tennyson and Eli's Elmo phone, and you can pretend like you have a phone. If it's how you dress, ask another female if you're dressing seductively and go and change your wardrobe. To what lengths will you and I deal with because the holiness of God is more important than my comfort? How are we going to deal with our sin? Because Jesus says, go to any lengths to remain pure and holy because that's what it means to live in my kingdom. I want holy and righteous and pure people in my kingdom. And he causes us to live out crazy in the kingdom of God and do crazy things in the kingdom of God to remain pure and holy. That's the beauty of what Jesus said. He said, hey, if you really want to come to me, count the cost. If you really want to be his disciple, today you've got to count the cost. Is being a disciple of God more important than having the newest iPhone? Is being a disciple of God more important than having the best clothes? Jesus says, it's up to you. You just count the cost. All are welcome, but I promise you this, it won't be easy. 
Take up your cross daily and follow me. Daily. And the last quote is this. I love this quote. By Billy Sunday, which is a cool name in and of itself. He was a great theologian and evangelist, and his last name is Sunday. How awesome. And his first name is Billy, even more awesome. Billy Sunday. He says this. One reason sin flourishes is because it is treated like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. Do we understand that sin is like a rattlesnake and it's waiting to kill us and we treat it like a cream puff? We put it out on the middle of the table and we dabble with it, we eat it, we say it's good, it's sweet, and God is saying, no, it is a rattlesnake and it will kill you. It will kill you. There's a great book by John Owens. It's called The Mortification of Sin. Mortification of Sin is simply this idea. What will you do and what will I do to put sin to death? What will we do to put the things in our life that causes us to to sin and to rebel against God to death? How are you and how am I going to mortify the sin in my life that hampers me from living holy and purely before a holy and pure and righteous God. This morning, let us mortify our sin, and it all starts with, and I love it, because it goes back to this idea, you and I, we ought to be saying, there is no way possible to live this way, and Jesus is saying, yep, you're right. You cannot, and I cannot live without adultery apart from the holiness of God. This is the other part about this passage. All of us are guilty of adultery. Every one of us in the room No one can stand up here and say, not I, not I. No, because Jesus just said anyone who looks, and we've all had that. And so the beauty is this morning, do we take us back to the holiness and the righteousness of God that says, no, the first beatitude, I am broken and I cannot, and I will surrender my will and my life, even my sexuality over to you today, God. You do with me what you want and what you please, and I will let you have all of it. Where are we today? Do we treat sin? Do we treat sexuality? Do we treat lust like a cream puff? Or do do we treat it like a rattlesnake? There is a God who will redeem us and set us free from all things. Let us pray. God, your word is so clear that lust starts with the heart. And so God, I pray that anyone in here this morning If there's lust in their hearts, that even this morning you would convict them. That even this morning, God, that they would leave here free. And they would leave here doing verses 29 and 30. That they would go to whatever lengths to rid themselves of the things that rob them for their affections of you. God, if there's anyone in here that's in an adulterous relationship, I pray that even this morning, God, your Holy Spirit would convict them. God, I pray if there's men or women that are caught in sexual sin this morning, that even today you would convict them. God, as this altar is wide open, I pray that they would come and seek you first and foremost and cry out to God for forgiveness. That you would forgive them and set them free. God, you've called us to live as kingdom citizens. And living as kingdom citizens means to do radical things, but not apart from you. God, invade our hearts and our minds. Give us the things that will stir our affections for you. Keep us holy, keep us pure, I pray. 
Thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. Lead us and guide us. Amen.